Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. Good, good. Hey, this is our very last week on uh, the Essentials series. Next week, we're uh, starting a brand new one. Uh, it's called um, The Past to the Future. Now, I've invited um, Reverend Naomi Duke to come back and preach with us next week, so that would be a really exciting time. Naomi and I have found ourselves in uh, similar circles together and we have a good chat about you guys <laughs> and it's all good. So um, uh, it would be a great joy to have her come back and uh, share with us next week and the week after that we're going to have a panel uh, of people who's going to come and, and share their thoughts about what God has been doing over this place over a period of time and then just before Christmas we're going to be looking at the possibility of where God is sending us into the future so it's going to be a good time. Well, the Essential Series is looking at uh, what does it mean to be uh, evangelical in our faith because that term gets thrown out around a lot and, and comes these days with a fair bit of baggage. So I thought for the United Church in South Australia, in Australia, what does that mean? What are the essentials of what it means to have an evangelical faith? And so we've been exploring over the last... Um, little while, um, three areas, and today will be the fourth that uh, makes it even, uh, the evangelical faith the evangelical faith. And, and the very first one, if you remember rightly, was that we have a high regard for Scripture, that we allow uh, Scripture to be uh, God-breathed, which means we believe it was inspired when it was written, but we also believe it inspires us as we read it, that the Spirit of God takes it from the page and somehow speaks to the very core of who we are and shapes us and guides us and moulds us. And so we don't try and make uh, Scripture fit into uh, what we think it should be, even though that's really tempting and really easy to do. But what we try and do is allow uh, the, the Spirit of God through Scripture to mould us and change us into who we want to be. We have a high regard for Scripture. And one of the reasons we have a high regard for Scripture is because it tells us the story of God's redemption in this world. And, and the next week we talked about the atonement of God. That through, Jesus, uh, through God sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross and to raise again settles a justice issue for God and allows us to come back into his presence. The scripture narrative shows us that the atonement is central to who we are and to what we believe. And when Jesus says, I am the, I am, um, the way, the truth and the life and no one can come but to the Father but to me, it is a reference to the fact that only Jesus brings the atonement so that we can come back into God's presence. No other way does it. So there's not multiple paths to God. There's just Jesus. And so we hold that up as being essential. And last week we talked about the fact that we need to have a personal response to what God has done. And we do that in a couple of ways. We do that through the baptism, which we're going to be exploring tonight, the immersion of water, the dying to self and the raising again to life, but also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit wants to come and, and reside with us. And in that, God's Spirit does the transforming work within our souls. That we don't have to try and be good we don't have to strive like some sort of self-help book but we can 
allow God's spirit to do the transforming work within you and I. That's what we've been exploring. And the last one we, I want to I centralise on today is the fact that when we have a high regard to Scripture, when we believe in the atonement, when we receive the baptism of water and the baptism of spirit, then uh, God calls us to live out our faith. That we can't just come and, and sit and, and soak it all in. There's a, there's a response, if you like, that God causes in us to start living out our faith. It, it's, it's an essential part of where it is. If you want to put it this way, God infuses us with his kingdom values and then asks us to go live them out. God, in, God uh, radically transforms us and renews us and then he says, go and do likewise. I've shown you love, I've shown you grace, I've shown you kindness. I, I gave you what you didn't deserve. Go and do the same. And, and if you read the Gospels, you'll see that the stories and the parables of Jesus, it's laced with, this is what God's done for you, go and do likewise. And so he wants us to live it out. I've met people, though, who are really quite comfortable not reading the scriptures, but coming to church on a Sunday. Who, who, uh, who might not believe that Jesus had to die for people because only good people go to heaven. I've, I've met those people. Whatever the scale is to make you good enough to go to heaven, that's what they believe. They haven't responded personally to, to the call of dying to yourself and living to God. And, and what I've worked out over the time is that there are, there are people who, who, who have been a part of the institutional church who don't believe these uh, important essential things. And what happens is they start to worship morals instead of God. When, when you don't read your scriptures... When, when you don't believe in the atonement, when you don't die to yourself and allow God's spirit to do a work into it, you're actually worshipping being a good person, not worshipping the God that can transform you into a good person. And, and, and scripture starts to highlight this to us in lots of ways. James is famously does it in James 2.14. He says this, is, uh, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not show it by your actions? What kind of faith, uh, sorry, can that kind of faith sa save anyone? And he goes on in verse 17 to say, faith without works, faith without living it out is dead. I didn't want to scare you by putting it up on the screen, so I didn't do that. And so for James' mind, he's not saying that by works you are saved. He's saying that you show that you are saved by the works that you do. He's not saying that you doing good things is going to somehow magically get you over the line. That's why the atonement's so important. We can't do it. It's Jesus who does it for us. That's why it's so essential. So James is not saying that. He's saying, but if God is in you, God is transforming you, you've got to respond somehow. And that response isn't about you, it's got to be about other people. 
And so he goes on in this thing saying, if, you, if your brother is in need and you just go there, 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 what good is that? And so James quite, uh, quite rightly h- highlights the fact that faith without works, faith without an expression, faith without action is not really a live faith. Jesus puts it another way in, in Matthew 7, 15 to 20. This is what he says. There we go. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. Got to love the wolf and the sheep imagery. Can you actually imagine that? Just a wolf with a little bit of fluff on. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, the way they act. You can pick... Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes? If you, uh, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So you can identify people by their actions. And so Jesus is just highlighting that if God is doing that transforming work that is acquired to us by the atonement that is outlined to us in Scripture, then we should be bearing good fruit. That's what he's saying. And he's saying if you want to know if people are struggling with uh, whether or not God is real in their life, then look at the fruit that it is. Now, what he's not saying is that you need to be perfect. What he is saying that if you're allowing the Spirit of God to do its work, your fruit will become good because he transforms and renews the tree. Faith is meant to be put into action. Must be put into action. So how do you do that? How do you put your faith into action? How do you look at yourself and say to yourself, am I bearing good fruit or am I bearing not so good fruit? What kind of indicators do you have in your life that the fruit that is coming out of you is God-born and it is a blessing to the community? Maybe you just do it by making sure that your words are kind. You know the old saying, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar? Is that an old saying? Or did I just... Yeah, it's an old saying. Maybe you do it by simply making sure that you smile to everyone who walks by you and that you somehow pray a blessing upon them and, and want them to be joyful. I've, I've heard stories. There was a chaplain when I was in the school's ministry group and the testimony was that, that uh, there was a young kid who was just... Um, just feeling lost and alone and she just made sure that she smiled at him every single day. And he, she received a note from him one day 
and just say, I, I, I want to thank you because I'd almost given up that life was worth living, but every time I saw you, you smiled at me and you gave me hope. Maybe you do it through a smile. Maybe you do it by helping people who are in need. Maybe you do it by, by making sure that when you walk into a room, you see the people who seem to be isolated and you gravitate to them. How do you live out your faith? How do you show people around you that your fruit is good, that God is at work in you? How do you know that it's not all about you, but it's about others? Well, the reading that I picked today, I'm I'm sure that if you spent 10 minutes in church, you would know it. It's from Luke 10. And uh, and it's the, the story of the Good Samaritan. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up and tested, uh, to test Jesus, said, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? I love that Jesus just comes back with questions. Just warms my heart. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour with yourself. So the Barry translation, if you've come across it before, love God with every ounce of your being, and love your neighbour as yourself. And, and you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Off you go. She. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man going down to Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You can go boo if you like. So too a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by the other side. Boo to him too. But a Samaritan, someone who had no reason to do so, he was travelling, came where the man was and when he saw him, took pity on him, he went uh, to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine and then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii or two silver coins, a fair bit of money, and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, uh, he said, when, uh, and when I return, I'll rebu- reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Which of these three do you think is the neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is what God's done for you. Off you go. Now, I could spend a, a, a f- fair bit of time on many passages of this, and I could, I could spend a fair bit of time talking about how the priest and the Levite should have done better, and they shouldn't have been fearful, and they shouldn't have uh, worried about time, and they shouldn't have worried about money, and they shouldn't have worried about being re- religiously pure, and all the things that we could talk about because they got it wrong. So I want to talk about the one who got it right. The Samaritan, the the person 
who comes along the road. And if you don't know uh, Judaism and Sumerian history, is that they were cousins who were offended by each other. And so a Jew and a Samaritan wouldn't talk, they wouldn't be hospitable to each other, and they definitely would not help each other in times of need. And what I, I love about this story of, uh, of the, uh, the Good Samaritan is that the number one issue on the mind of the Good Samaritan was the person he was coming across was a person. He wasn't worried about the fact of whether this person fits a certain criteria or whether this person feels a, a certain uh, uh, expectation of him, whether they're the same of him or different of him. He just sees them not for who they are, but that they are. He just sees that this is a person who is broken. This is a person who is bleeding. This is a person who is dying. I'm going to see them as a person and I'm going to step in. And one of the things that the gospel fruit that should always be at bear at us is that we should just see people as people. And we, don't, and we shouldn't come with a judgment of what, who they are and what they're about, but simply say they are a child of God. Loved by God, let me step in. So I love that the fact that the Samaritan strips away all of the pretense, all of the reasons, and just steps in saying, this is God's child, I'm going to work. So I love that. And I love the fact that the next, the Good Samaritan did what he could do. He had a donkey. He had bandages. He had oil and wine. You should always travel with wine. It should be an essential. Just in case your minister pops in. Anyway, always travel with wine. But he, but he gave assistance. He saw that it was a person. He gave assistance with what he had and he financially assisted to help. And what I love about this is that when you start seeing that the kingdom of God should be acted out and not kept inside, we realize that all our finances are God's, all our materials are God, and it is our job to use what God gives us to be a blessing to other people around it. And so he used his donkey or his Commodore station wagon because that's probably what he had in today's version he used what he had and, and he helped this man out he wasn't seeking anything in return he just saw him as a human being saw that god had blessed him with resources and he goes i see that and i see that and those two things can come together and last of all and i think this is the the last point i want to bring in this part is and this is where i think we get in trouble as Christians. The last thing that the Good Samaritan did is he didn't try and do it all. Do you realize that? He, he went there, he took him to the inn, he got him all set up, but he had business to go to, so he just took off. He paid someone else to look after him. He didn't, he didn't sit there and go, I've got to help this person until they've regained their whole health. He, he didn't sit there and go, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? He was 
smart enough to say, God's called me for this moment, for what this is, but I don't have to be a part of the whole picture. And so I can imagine that when the the guy who got robbed woke up, he thanked the innkeeper, not the Samaritan. He wasn't hanging around for accolades. He goes, no, I've got a life to live. I've got things to do. If he's a donkey, he's probably a trader. He's got trading to do. He's off. So he did what he could and he left the rest to someone else. And we are terrible at it. Because isn't one of the fears of living out our faith is that people will take too much of us? Too much of our time, too much of our resources, too much of our life and how am I going to have time for my family and how am I going to have time for this and how am I going to have time for that? Isn't that one of the fears that traps us from actually doing what God has for us? But the Good Samaritan story shows us that we don't have to do it all. We don't have to be people's saviours. All we have to do is do our part with the resources that God gives us for how the Spirit calls us to do it. And I find that Christians get caught up in believing that they are people's saviour instead of pointing people to the saviour. So the story of the Good Samaritan, I think, highlights to us how we can live out our faith, how we are to see people as people, how we can do what we can do, but also know what we can't do and don't think we need to do it. God doesn't want us to be super Christians. God just wants us to be trees that bear good fruit. So this is how we're doing it as a staff here in this place. Uh, and, and some people have come to faith with, in this. What we, what we basically do is that whenever we come across someone who has a need, our first desire is to pray for them. Can I pray for you about that? Now, that's not where we leave it. If we can provide other help, we will. But that's our go-to. Can, can, can I... Can I just pray with you right now that God will step into that situation? And if they say no, we don't do it. But if they do, then we do it right there and then. And then we simply go back to them the following week or whenever the next time we see them, we go, how's your life going? How's that situation going? Is there any other way we can help? Has God turned up? And so this was something that happened over the last two weeks with a mum at Playgroup. She was feeling, um, feeling anxious about directions in her life. We said, can we pray for you? And she goes, I'm really open to that. And so we did. Last week we came back, said, what's going? She goes, you know what? All the anxiety's gone. And that's really fantastic. And so we go, great. Well, maybe God's at work in your life. Would you like to come and read some scripture with us? And Amy does that on a Wednesday. And she's not quite at reading scripture yet. But we're praying that she will be. You see, part of us living out our faith is not just to do good works for good works sake. We do good works because we see people as people, but because we know that there is a Father God who loves each and every one. And the best thing, the most incredible thing we can do is introduce 
people to him. Every situation that people are going through is better when God is involved. And we know that if we can get people connected to God, be bold in praying for people, be bold in asking people to read scripture together, then we will start seeing God do the transformational work within people. It's not us trying to say, come along, this Christianity thing is all whoop, whoop. You can quote me on that. My, my pastor said, Christianity is not all whoop, whoop. But what it is about is God doing the transforming work that his spirit wants to do in each and every person. Our fruit should always point to the story of God and the love that God has for people. So I want to ask you, how are you living out your faith? Are you trying to do too much? Are you, are you trying to stay with the, with the injured person too long? Are you trying to be more important in the story than you need to be? Are you trying to be good all on your own and just be good for good's sake, but all your goodness is not pointing back to the Creator who loves and who redeems and who restores? Are you someone who just sits in there and goes, I don't really know what to do. I love God, but I'm not really sure how I can do stuff. Well, Jesus sums it, well, the teacher of the law sums it up. Love God with every fibre of your being and love others as you have been loved. Let God transform you from the inside out. Let him turn all the stuff that's inside you into a tree that bears good fruit for the glory of his name. We can't call ourselves evangelicals unless we're expressing what God has done for us in helping others. And I know that a lot of you do a really good job in that. But I want to encourage you that that's an essential part of our faith together. Let's pray.